Welcome to this Acadia Divinity College Chapel podcast. I am Stuart Blythe, a member of the faculty ADC and the Dean of Chapel. Here, you'll get a chance to hear perceptive and powerful sermons which were delivered by staff, faculty, students, alumni and guests as part of our weekly Wednesday Chapel services. Good morning, everybody. In John's Gospel, John records Jesus on the night of his betrayal, instructing his disciples about many things. He tells them about things like the new command of love, about the coming of this mysterious comforter. But here he does something particularly remarkable. He prays for the church. John 17, verses 20 to 26. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory, which you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, The world does not know you, but I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the world with which you have loved me, sorry, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. God bless the reading of the word. Here John uses this language that within God there are these two somethings. A third he mentions a few chapters earlier, Father, Son, and Spirit, the Comforter. And these three identities, persons, these somethings, are one. A mystery the church has puzzled over ever since, speculating about the meaning of person and being and substance and relations and a whole lot of other terminology. Sadly, I think for many though, the Trinity is just that, terminology. Dorothy Sayers, a Christian novelist and friend of C.S. Lewis, once joked that she felt like the doctrine of the Trinity was something theologians thought up one day to make life harder on the rest of us. You caught me, Dorothy. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Some of you have probably sympathized with what Dorothy Sayers has said, maybe around week 12 of Theology 1, I don't know. Just a guess. Rest assured, this is not a sermon about why you need to know the historical context of terms like homoousis or hypostasis, as important as those are, I would insist. But surely the Trinity is more than concepts and vocabulary. Too often, the Trinity is relegated to the equivalent of an appendix. (laughs) 
something that doesn't really do much and most people eventually have it removed. Or worse, you liked that one, didn't you? <laughs> okay, I got more where that comes from. <laughs> I'm just getting warmed up. <clears throat> Others, it's more like a club, that's not as funny. The bludgeon the dissenter with, rather than a bandage to nurse a sick soul. Most often when the Trinity is mentioned in our churches, frankly, it's used to point out how much wrong those other people's views are and how much right ours are. And if that's the point of doctrine, I think we've missed the point. Or we also have a tendency to over-explain. If you grew up in church, you may have been subjected to quite possibly the most overused expo uh, theological explanation of all time. The Trinity is like an egg. Thank you. Yes. Well, there's the shell, there's the yolk, there's that white part stuff. There you go. Or God is like water, solid, liquid, gas. There you go. Solved it. Solved it. I don't know about you, but I just don't find the idea that God is like an egg all that comforting. And we wonder why Christian beliefs don't connect with people. We could have at least chosen a better food. Really, like, the Trinity are like waffles. You have the waffle, you have the butter, you have the syrup pouring over like the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Yes, thank you. God is like bacon. Bacon doesn't have three aspects to it, but if God is like bacon, I want bacon. I'm sorry. Be creative, people. Analogies have their limits especially when we're dealing with the mysterious. Dorothy Sayers follows up her joke about the Trinity with a really good piece of advice. If you want to understand this doctrine, look at the drama. The drama is the doctrine. If you want to understand our triune God, look at the story of scripture. Enter into its contours and there you will be confronted by the character. To confess Christ is to attest to how we have found ourselves in the story of this creator God, the creator of all that is, reveals God's very self in history to a people, the Israelites, a people oppressed and enslaved under idolatrous tyranny. And this, God says, amongst all the other claims to God, this God is the one. This God is one, I am who I am, the living God. And this God rescues the Israelites out of bondage to be a chosen people, a nation of priests, to reflect God's character to the rest of the world, this one God longs to be one with us. And so when we look at the narrative of the Bible, we see this one God revealing God's self, pursuing this oneness with us, but doing it in this mysterious particular way. Manifesting, for lack of a better word, dimensions of God's self. The God who is beyond all things, infinite and transcendent and almighty, is also the root of all existence, the breath life, the presence of beauty, the one in whom we live and move and have our being, the movements of love itself, spirit. And as this narrative shows, these dimensions relate to one another. God sends his Messiah, the king, but a king not like any other human king. More than that, God's only begotten son, John says. He is one with the Father, and they relate to one another, this word made flesh dwelling among us. 
And the Father sends the Son, Jesus Christ, one who perfectly enfleshes the presence of God, this God Israel worship, but also this fulfills this longing for righteousness, this reconciling oneness with all things that Israel was called to and does, through, does this through spirit. What does it mean to be one? What does it mean? Is that just more of this abstract, mystical, and practical talk that we've grown so skeptical about? Do we long for oneness? On December 31st, 1989, Bono, lead singer of the band U2, perhaps you've heard of it, aired the dirty laundry of the band over a radio interview. They had had enough. The band was on tour with an album that some regarded as evidence that the band was over the hill. The reality was that the band was burning out. Bono had just had his first child and being away from family was taxing on his family and his marriage and another member's marriage was crumbling. The band was on the verge of breaking up. Meanwhile, members of the band were getting interested in activism but struggling to make a difference. And they were navigating how to express their religious convictions in music while wrestling with religious hypocrisy around them. When the band got together to write music a few months earlier, uh, a few months later, one, a song entitled One came out, out of a space of brutal honesty, trying to express what they so deeply longed for in their relationships and in their world. Let me read you a few stanzas of it. I was going to get Caleb to like do the whole thing, but I figured that would be, you know, a little too much homework, I guess. Anyway, <clears throat> it goes like this. Is it getting better, or do you feel the same? Will it make it easier on you now, now that you have someone to blame? You say one love, one life, when you have one need in the night. One love, we get to share it. It leaves you, baby, if we don't care for it. Have you come here for forgiveness? Have you come to raise the dead? Have you come here to play Jesus to the lepers in your head? Do, did I ask too much, more than a lot? You gave me nothing, and now it's all I got. We're one, but we're not the same. Well, we hurt each other, and we do it again. You say, love is a temple, love a higher law. You ask me to enter, and then you make me crawl. And I can't be holding on to what you got when all you have is hurt. One love, one blood, one life, you got to do what you should. One life with each other, sisters and brothers, one life. But we're not the same. We get to carry each other, carry each other. Some of you are noting the themes there. Love and marriage and justice and religion and responsibility and blame and hurt and division and difference, all swirling around, tied together with this one word Bono keeps saying over and over again. One, oneness. Some of you probably started singing that song in your head, didn't you? Mine started, almost kicked in when they started to say, love is a temple, love is a higher law. I don't think I can, but <laughs> nope. <laughs> Some of you are probably wondering why Spencer's quoting old people music. <laughs> Whatever. Some of you say, why, you know, Spencer, why aren't you finding more recent good music out there for you to quote in your sermon to connect with the youth? And the answer is, I can't think of any good recent music. <laughs> Fight me on that. Later. <clears throat> well, notice that theme, oneness. One life, we're not the same. We've got to carry each other, carry each other. 
is a clue into the heart and essence of God. It's an insight into the very essence and longing of what it means to be human. We are creatures that are connected to one another. The past few years has continually illustrated this fact that we are connected. We have been thinking, I've been thinking lately about the wildfires, just one instance, um, something that happened last year. It was being talked about on radio a few days ago. Hundreds of homes were destroyed by a 25,000 hectare fire caused by such dryness that is unheard of in a province that is literally surrounded by water on all sides. The weather is getting more and more severe because we're dealing with the, effect, the effects of climate change. One spark or ember caused a wildfire the size of a city. We are realizing about how we treat the environment affects one another. And at the end of the day, all it took was somebody to burn a few leaves in their backyard, and now hundreds of families don't have a home. We all longed for it to rain back in June, and you know what happened. It rained. So much so, we experienced flooding then, and then a hurricane happened. And now we're experiencing an extremely strange winter. Our world is out of balance and we are disconnected from it and from each other. It is things like a forest fire and flooding that remind us that a city of a million people like Halifax still needs to be a community, depending on one another, needing one another, affected by the choices of one another. And our province and our nation, just like individuals, are not self-enclosed, independent, self-reliant units able to carry on without help or helping another. We are dependent on the earth and the seas, the fish and the animals for the very processes of life that sustain us. And we're dependent on each other. And we're learning the hard way that we are all connected. Where one is irresponsible, all are affected. And where one suffers, potentially all suffer. We're feeling how industrial practices on one side of the world affects farming on the other. Health practices on one side of the world affects the health of the community on the other. Wars on one side of the world affects life on the other. We can't get away from it. We are profoundly connected, but we keep choosing to ignore this fact, retreating into our little kingdoms of autonomy. And some of us use our, convic our Christian convictions to do so. And yet our lives are marred with reminders that we are living alienated from nature and ourselves and God. We are divided against the very things that we need the most. We are killing ourselves because we constantly fail to see ourselves, our fate, our identities are dependent on others. We know we need to be one. We long to be one with each other. We long for a unity and harmony where we can all be ourselves and others can be themselves in peace, peace with the earth. And yet, we are not one. And we make those choices, giving in to greed and selfishness, or just slip into the easy thoughtlessness to concern with the rat race of life. We find ourselves reliving this story again and again that comes to a particular intensity and exposure in the Gospels, where the people rejected Jesus' invitation to step into the oneness of God. John says at the beginning of his Gospel, the world came into being through him, and that the world didn't know him. He came to what was his own, even, and his own people didn't accept him. 
we know how this story goes. Jesus died on a cross executed by an instrument of imperial oppression orchestrated by corrupt religious institutions seeking to preserve their power at the expense of truth. But also he was betrayed by those closest to him, his friends, his disciples. The cross discloses this tragic depth of our tendency to refuse to be at one with God and each other, even when God is staring at us face to face. But in that dark moment, God shows us who he truly is. Jesus, for him to die in that place of the cross, yet fully one with the Father, reveals God's loving solidarity with the human form, our plight no matter how lost or sinful. God chooses to see God's very self in us and through us and not without us, choosing to bind himself to our fate, as if to say, I'm not going to let you go. I am not going to let you go. John records Jesus putting it this way. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And he counts the ones sitting in front of him, the ones he knew will betray him, betray him the worst out of any of them. He counts them as his friends. That's how God chooses his friends and who to befriend. And so often we are tempted to lose heart, to recoil and collapse under this weight of guilt and shame, condemnation of realizing we don't measure up. And we think about the state of our world and our complicity with things like racism or war or climate change or consumerism or all the toxic squabbles we see online. It might cause us to shrink back and simply say, we don't deserve anything better. We deserve what's coming to us. We've chosen our fate. But to be a part of a church, to be a member of the people of God, is to trust in Jesus Christ. It's to remember that in those moments, in those dark moments, we are encountered by a presence, spirit, Love that invites us to say that we are loved with the perfect love the Father has for the Son, his only begotten Son. The same love that God has for God in the Trinity, God has for sinners like you and me. God is not going to give up on us. Trust that. God is the God who throughout history stands with the undeserving, the least, the oppressed, the God-forsaken, the outcast, the sinners, all humanity. Announcing, as he did to the disciples, peace to you, peace to you. Announcing that God's will for all of us is simply and has always been eternal life, eternal life. When we're suffering and when we're scared, our cross becomes his cross by his choice. And when we are lost and hopeless, his resurrection becomes our resurrection, our hope. This God who is God above has come and chosen to be God beside us, walking with us in Jesus Christ, redeeming us in the spirit to lead us forward as God within us and through us and before us. With a love so undivided, unlimited, it is making all things new, becoming one. As John says, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness could not overcome it. And so John challenges us to be one with each other. 
in a similar way that the Father is at one with the Son, may they be one as we are one. He prays for his disciples, and he's praying for his church, which means he's praying for us. In a world that is broken and divided, be at one with each other. Model the kind of empathy and acceptance and reconciliation and forgiveness and encouragement that says, I need you. I can't be me without you. I can't succeed unless you succeed. And if you're hurting, I'm hurting as well. We are one. One life, but we're not the same. We have to carry each other, carry each other. That is Jesus' prayer, and God knows I could use some prayer on that some days. I had my family call me from Ontario wondering whether or not I was safe through all the fires and floods. I tried to explain to them that not everybody in Nova Scotia lives in Halifax. <laughs> they didn't get it. I admit this as a recovering Ontarian. <clears throat> but what I did say was, I'm okay, I'm okay. This doesn't affect me. This doesn't affect me. I hit send and I realized, oh. I caught myself doing something we just so easily do. Hardship or oppression doesn't touch my immediate experience, my job, my family. I conclude I am not affected. We do that so many times. Injustice doesn't infect me. Poverty doesn't affect me. Illness doesn't affect me. War, what that person's financial troubles are, what that person's health risks, what that person's struggles are, not my problem. It's theirs, not mine. And then we choose to forsake the invitation into the oneness of love again and again. One reason the Trinity feels abstract is I think we use it. We use it as one more way of honoring God with our lips or perhaps with our minds, with our concepts, when the reality is our hearts are far from the reality of God. Two days ago, as I said, I was driving into work and CBC Radio was mentioning the forest fires because police charged a guy with accidentally starting the fires, as I mentioned. It was a 22-year-old guy who burned some leaves in the backyard. I remember uttering some things to myself about how somebody, what this person should get in terms of fines for being so stupid and thoughtless. But then the radio interviewed a man who had lost his house his farm, and even his cottage that was on the other end of the forest, all of that to the fire. The man was asked, how do you feel about the person charged? And all he could say was, I can't blame him. I've done a lot of thoughtless stuff over the years. Mine, thankfully, just haven't had the severe consequences his had. His mistake could have just as easily been mine. I remember sitting in the parking lot just up the hill sitting with that moment and realizing I needed a little more humility. To the one who caused all that destruction, this man who had lost his, uh, his, all his possessions destroyed by fire chose to see himself in another. He chose empathy and mercy. He stepped into oneness. Again, folks, we are so often tempted to see the Trinity as an abstract idea but it flows from our relationship with God and others. It's an invitation into movements of worship and prayer and service and sacrifice 
solidarity and forgiveness that speaks of the essence of who God is and who we are and the only way we're ever going to move forward as people. It is to admit, to confess, we are connected, we belong to one another. And in God's choice to be bound to us, to be connected to us, to refuse to let us go, we are awakened as a church to our responsibility to others, our joy, our privilege, our witness. And so, folks, may we daily, in our choices, grand or small, step into the oneness of God as a college, as a community, as a church, awaiting the day that God is all in all. Amen. Thank you for joining us in this Acadia Divinity College Chapel Podcast. You can follow us on social media. Discover more on our website at acadiadiv.ca or join us for chapel on a Wednesday.